Yes, hello out there, everyone, and welcome back to None But the Brave, a presentation of Evergreen Podcast. I am Hal Schwartz, and as always, I'm here with my great buddy, Flynn McLean. And Flynn, we were going to start tonight's episode with our coverage of the gala event that the Springsteen Archives held over the weekend. But since Bruce was unable to appear due to having COVID, we'll now save that till the end, and we'll go in sequential order, starting with the New York, New Jersey area appearances we covered the garden in the last episode and next up was Brooklyn, which you attended. What were your thoughts on Brooklyn? Well, I really enjoyed it. Uh, obviously hearing Satan, the city tour debut, that was pretty sweet. And I was very excited uh, to hear Lena Pope and James. That was actually uh, one of the songs I had missed hearing or had wanted to see at the garden, but didn't, didn't quite get, cause I love the recording of it that I heard from the Seattle performance. So very happy to get it uh, in, in Brooklyn. Yeah, and interesting that Saint in the City was the first performance of a song off of Greetings. Uh, I wouldn't have predicted that because, of course, it's the 50th anniversary of that record, and you would have thought some of those songs would be in the set with more regularity, but that hasn't been the case. Has not. Um, very unusual that uh, that Saint in the City was the first one. I would have expected Spirit or maybe even, uh, even For You to be the first one, but uh, no. Nah. Saint in the City was was there, and it was it was a good performance of it. Now, beyond Saint in the City and Land of Hope and Dreams, you were at the Garden, of course. How did Brooklyn compare to that? Uh, just wasn't as good. It's hard to really place a a reason on it. I guess maybe the it was a Monday night, so it didn't have the Saturday night crowd that the Garden had, and it didn't seem like Bruce was was quite there. His performance was a, a little bit below what what had happened in the Garden, but. I did think the garden was quite special. It was uh, such an amazing crowd, and, and Bruce and the band really responded well. And it's an inevitable to have a bit of a letdown. It would have been more interesting if it had been a second night at the garden instead of farming it out to Brooklyn, but that's that's the way it goes. Yeah, it's very hard to get multiple nights at the garden in the spring, even though they started booking this tour well in advance, I'm sure, between the Knicks and the Rangers and all the other shows. That just was not a possibility. So they spread the wealth around the New York, New Jersey area. After Brooklyn, they went to Cleveland. There was one tour premiere there, Atlantic City. Neither of us were at that show. And after Cleveland, they went to Baltimore, where we got by far the biggest tour premiere so far. One of our personal favorites, which we'll discuss in a moment because we saw it in Belmont, but Lucky Town made a very surprising debut. Yeah, I was. It was very shocking. I was. Uh, I got a text from a friend who was at the show, and I'm like, "No freaking way!" And then he was like, "No, no joke. Uh, he's, re- he's really doing Lucky Town." And it just seemed like that was so out of left field. It seems like the '92 stuff doesn't show up on a tour until the last month, and to have it show up uh, on the first leg, as, and as you said, over over other E Street material like like Greetings. It really was a it was a huge surprise, and but it was a good performance from what from what I understand. And a friend of mine who who saw a lot of shows on this tour said Baltimore, even though it was one of the shorter ones on the leg, it was actually one of the better ones. And I guess we say that even though they did pay me my money down. Yes, that is correct. They also did Hungry Heart in that show, which is not surprising considering the first <laughs> line of the song. And everyone who's at that show, we, our buddy Bill Donahoe, who we saw this past week, he's had good things to say about that show. So they they were really gelling. And we're going to get now to what everyone was waiting for, which was Belmont, because it was the first place 
where there was going to be multiple shows. I flew into town on Saturday the 8th, the day before the first show. You and I rejoined in person and we attended those (laughs) shows together. And there's a lot to say here because obviously the headline is going to be two shows, very little changes, three total. And for those of us, and I admit, I was a little overly optimistic. I was hoping for at least four or five. It appears now that he has the set that he wants. And I don't know, I'm no longer as optimistic that Dublin with three shows is going to see as many changes. It just appears that this is the show. But let's get into it because they were two very high quality shows, especially the second show. What were your thoughts about Belmont Night One? It was a very strong performance. I thought they were really on. I thought the crowd was into it. They were in concert, as as Bruce likes to say. But outside the debut of Mary's Place, it was kind of one of the uh, one of the weaker sets. And you only have three three wild card slots basically on on in this set on this tour so far. And when one of them is pay me my money down, and the other one is Bobby Jean. You're not exactly going to be impressing a lot of the uh, a lot of the diehards, especially us. So great performance, very weak set list, at least in terms of the three well cards. Otherwise, it could have been so much better, but that's that's the way it goes. I will say Mary's place, and we're going to have a much bigger discussion now because it has now been played three nights in a row, and I think he has been searching for songs that fit into this set, and he has decided that Mary's Place is one of those songs. But I thought the performance of Mary's Place was excellent. I actually thought the performance of Bobby Jean was excellent. I'm not going to go on another pay me my money down rant. First of all, we already (laughs) did uh, an episode on Patreon about these shows where we talked about that extensively. I will say I am heartened by the fact that the two shows that followed this, the Johnny 99 pay me my money down slot, was gone. Let's hope that's permanent because neither of those songs, in my opinion, really fit well into this show. And I just think there's so much material that he's not playing. Darkness on the Edge of Town, which has only been played once. Jungle Land, which has only been played once. That to play something like Pay Me My Money Down in the middle of the set is just, it's (laughs) not the right move in my eyes. Well, if he wanted to replace it with something more audience participation um i think mary's place fits the fits the bill there's so much going on let it rain let it rain and we don't we don't need both we don't need both mary's place and pay me my money down even though he did them both on on the first night in belmont i think it was it was a bit redundant and it just it just feels like as you said that mary's place is probably here to stay it's it was done in a compact version. It wasn't bloated yes. out like it was on the Rising Tour or the second half of the Magic Tour. But it's one of these things where I'm I'm not optimistic that it's going to stay in, in in a compact version. I just feel that he's going to make it another show centerpiece, uh, like on the previous tours that that I mentioned, and not exactly uh, the, the move or the direction we would like him to go in, but. The crowd, the crowd does eat it up. That That is for sure. See, I disagree with you on that one point because I do believe that all of the versions have remained compact. Dancing in the Dark now obviously can't bring a young woman on stage because of the COVID protocols, but he does seem to be keeping the, the songs nice and tight. 
and I think he wants to keep the show 245, 250, that range. And if you blow it out Mary's Place another five minutes, that's going to cut against that. So I think that Mary's Place, and I hope, is going to remain in the very nice, tight version that we saw. I, I, it works really well. When, when he played it, when it started, I'll admit I had mixed emotions. My first thought was, <laughs> that's not the wild card I want to hear at this moment after Night Shift. But at the same time, I have to admit, as soon as I thought about it, I was like, this is really the probably yeah. the most perfect song in his catalog to follow Night Shift. <laughs> I think you're right there. And I really want you to be right that it doesn't get bloated out. It doesn't become a, a 10 or 15 minute version. I want you to be right. I really pray you're right, but I'm not hold, holding my breath either. Now, at the second show, the tour debut of Born in the USA, I thought was absolutely amazing. And I could feel it. And I thought that was as important as anything, feeling the bass. Actually, it wasn't Gary's bass. It was, uh, I believe it was some, coming from the keyboards, just feeling it going through us, <laughs> going through our bodies physically was just that was just an amazing feeling. Okay, well, you're jumping ahead a little bit. <laughs> Let's go back to the start of Belmont 2. Uh, okay. I think a lot of people had hopes that perhaps there would be a different opener, even expecting No Surrender to follow it. That did not happen at Belmont 2. It, it actually did happen in Newark. But Belmont 2 started with the standard set. Those songs were performed incredibly well. The solo on Prove It All Night was huge. I, I thought Letter to You, which sounds better with every performance, was great. Promised Land was great. And then after Out in the Street, we got the song that you and I were looking for. As you know, I was standing there going, we got to see what guitar Kevin brings out because <laughs> Candy's Room is played with the Butterscotch Telecaster and Lucky Town is played on the Sunburst, Capo to the Second Fred. And sure enough, Kevin brought out Lucky Town. It was... So great to see. Now, there was a, a little uh, misadventure by Bruce uh, in the solo where he got off key for a moment or two. I listened to the release today on Nugs. It, that is there. I think that Al Chiller massaged it a little, but still a great version of a great song. And uh, we can't see that enough. Uh, that is the type of thing. I, I don't know what got into him to bring Lucky Town into the set this early in the tour. It worked beautifully into Kitty's back. I hope that's not the last time it's played. The entire album should be focused on more. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a... Uh, actually, to be perfectly honest, I was not expecting it. I was hoping for it, but I kind of figured it would be a one and done, kind of like Darkness and Atlantic City were. So I was... Not just surprised, but very ecstatically surprised. And and yeah, I listened to it today as well. And it's it was one of those things where unless I was listening for it, I I didn't hear it. And it took me it took me a couple of listens. I was actually working at the time, and then finally on the third one, I'm like, okay, let me listen to this one in detail. And yeah, there are a couple couple places there where it does go a little. This guitar solo does seem to be a little off. Doesn't t totally fit with the. Uh, with the rest of the music going on, but otherwise I thought it was, uh, it was just a great guitar solo. Yeah. And, and from there, the show just flew. Uh, Kitty's back was great. Night shift was great. Now we got to the wild card after night shift. And this is where 
again, I think I got the notion that Mary's place was going to be here to stay. I was hoping it wouldn't be played the second night in Belmont because, of course, that was the first two-night stand, and that's a wild card slot. But it was played again, and I think, as I said, it's going to probably stick around. I think we agree on that. And the crowd loved it, and you, you just have to understand that. Now, obviously, in the past, there have been songs that the crowd has loved that didn't get played every night. On the 2012 tour, Thunder Road wasn't played every night. As we've discussed before in the July 5th, 2012 classic show, Badlands and Promised Land wasn't played that night. So no song really needs to be played every night, but he's doing a different type of show here. And what's working is working. And it's undeniable Mary's place worked in that slot. Oh, absolutely. And as I said, the crowd participation was great. And and then that segued into Trapped, which another another powerful performance, but with uh, with a lot of uh, audience participation again. So th- there's a lot of audience participation in this show. And actually, I, I, I was kind of feeling like after Backstreets, I think every song afterwards basically felt like an audience sing-along. And I'm not really sure we need that on every song, but... I guess that's the, one of the definitions of a fan favorite or greatest hits kind of show. It really makes for a fun experience. I think that the last man standing backstreets combo is so powerful. Oh, very much. Yeah. I'm not going to disagree we, with you there. I think no, it's amazing. I, I know you're not going to disagree with me, but as we have discussed many times in terms of the release, that's a very heavy moment in the show. The talk about George Thies and, and just, the overall topic that we're all going to die, which is basically what he is saying there. Mm-hmm. And then you get to a little bit of fun after that. Now, I don't think that that necessarily applies to Wrecking Ball and The Rising, but certainly from Badlands on, it, it is a big party. And well, it's it's very effective. You know, Born in the USA and the way it was played in this Belmont show has been contrary to how it's been played in the United States for most of the reunion era, because it was not protected like in 2014, where the wall was played before it, which helped contextualize it. Here, it was just played as a greatest hit. Oh, you're right. And and going back to the Rising Tour, when he finally brought back the, the full band version, it was done in combination with Land of Hope and Dreams, and, and it gave it much more context. For sure. And also, don't forget about My City of Ruins. Right, yeah, that that yeah. whole second second encore set of City of Ruins, USA, Hope and Dreams, that that made a statement there that uh, that could not really be uh, totally ignored. And, it couldn't be ignored at all. Well, but there are people who who intentionally would ignore it or wouldn't be smart enough to realize what he was saying. But uh, I certainly enjoyed it on that tour. But it was it was great here. But I would also argue that the sing along party starts starts with because the night and it just kept going. I thought, and I think wrecking ball is, it's a huge, that's huge true. Kind of, kind of sing along song. And even the rising, you got everybody la la lying with their hands in the air. Um, and I'm just, I'm saying to myself, you know, it's a great experience at the time, but it doesn't seem to, I don't get a Bruce buzz anymore to be perfectly honest. Well, after, okay. After a show. But you're jumping you're jumping ahead to our larger conversation after we finish with Newark and the archives so all right but, well I, I thought the Belmont 2 was a tremendous show the born in the USA as you put it was really powerful 
and great to see. It should be played more. And look, as I say, I think we're going to get to this larger topic in a moment. Do the shows provide as big, I'll call it an exclamation point, as they did 10 years ago? That may be the case, but we know the circumstances. They're older, and although the performance is just stellar, but and our and we're older and our lives have changed. So I think all of those things together, you know, make for a different experience. But let's we'll save that for our larger discussion. Let's move on to Newark, which unfortunately you did not attend. Right. Can I say one more thing about Belmont? Belmont yes, too, though? Of course. Well, one of the things this tour has been missing ha- has been audibles. And you remember the feeling back, you know, 10 years ago, even six, seven years ago, where he would mouth the song, the next song to the band. Right. Well, that's re- that's really been missing on this tour. And to see him turn around to start the encores and tell the band born in the USA and lip reading, that felt really, really good to see. It was, as I said, it was really missing. And even though it was on the set list, it kind of still kind of felt like an audible to me. Well, there was an audible in Belmont one. I don't think it was necessarily in our favor because Land of Hope and Dreams was switched to Bobby Jean. Although, again, Bobby Jean is a song that fits perfectly into the theme and was wonderfully performed. So I, I can't knock Bobby Jean, and that's never been a song. Obviously, it's been overplayed at points, but it's uh, I think a great song. So I'd rather not, hear. Not- I'd rather hear Land of Hope and Dreams. As, as would I, but, <laughs> but yeah, we're it not fits well. List. It fits well. It's a fan favorite. It's off his biggest album. So when you know, 95% of the audience is just they're loving it. I get it. Let's go to Newark, which unfortunately you did not attend. No, no, I did not. And aside from local hero, I uh sounded like a strong show, sounded like uh looked like Bruce was loose in some of the videos that I saw and Seemed to have a little bit more. Seemed to have more of a feeling of a of a rock concert rather than the show that he's been doing. Am I am I wrong in that? No, not at all. I heard Chris Russo on his radio show talking about this today. This was the best Jersey crowd in a very long time. I don't know what brought it out from the moment the show started until the moment the show ended. The crowd was so engaged and was so excited, and it was really a special night. I walked out of that arena feeling very, very good. Now, I think the local hero helped. What it did, he did a little rap before the song started about being home in Jersey and that this is a true story. And it really engaged the audience. And one of the things that maybe has been missing on this tour is communication from the stage, which has really only been happening in that story before Last Man Standing. So I think that set a great tone for the evening. And then they killed it. Local Hero, which it was the first time I had seen it in 30 years, which is incredible. (laughs) And they just, as I say, they killed it. It was an incredible performance of the song. And that was the jumping off point for the night. No Surrender followed. Ghost, the arena was flying again. Prove it all night. An incredible solo. And it just just built. And that may have been something that's been missing at some of the other shows. 
there was a build to this show, and maybe it does now that he has a set that he feels comfortable with because there is no more wild card, it appears, after Night Shift because Mary's Place was played again. And I was not surprised based on what we had seen at Belmont. And the show really, really worked. Now, I want to go back to what you said about the crowd, about being one of the best Jersey crowds. Yeah. Now, to me, the the litmus test for a good Jersey crowd is how respective and attentive were they during Last Man Standing? As far as I could tell, they were. Uh, I will be honest. I was in a location where it was very hard to tell what was going on behind me. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like the arena was very respectful. Okay, because I remember... The entire night, people were on their feet. Okay. See, what I go back to is uh, I remember seeing the first night of the reunion tour in New Jersey, July 15th, uh, 99. And as soon as he went into whatever song it was, Factory or Mansion on the Hill, just how many people made a beer run or made a bathroom run. That's always made an impression on me. And then seeing it at other shows along that stand and since, I'm I'm just hoping that that wasn't the case here uh, here in Newark. It was not the case that I was aware of. I Ooh, thought the arena hear. was completely locked in. Now you talk about sing-alongs, the Jersey Girl. <laughs> and of course, I'd rather see Jungle Land. I'm not going to deny that. But the Jersey Girl was a moment of perfection. That arena singing along, and he was so happy. It really was amazing. And, you know, I keep coming back to the same point. I've made it before on this podcast the idea that I'm standing in the audience and I'm in my mid fifties now, Kirk made this point in the last episode uh, all these years later, and he's going to be 74 this year. And there are still moments like that. It's hard not to be impacted by it. Now we're going to talk in a broader sense. Once we get done with Newark and the archives and I do agree somewhat with what you said a little bit earlier about the impact, but standing there, there was really no place I would have rather been on Friday night. Well, that's the case whenever he's performing, even though it it doesn't give, give me a buzz like it did 10 years ago. But at the same time, when you're there, I'm having an amazing time. I'm really enjoying the hell out of everything I'm hearing and seeing. And so I'm not surprised that you would say that. It is the great when Bruce Springsteen is performing on stage. There is no place on this earth I'd rather be than in the crowd watching that. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing else to say beyond that, and that is still a very powerful thing because there are people we know who don't feel the same way, and there are certainly other acts that haven't held that for this length of time, and the fact that. I still feel that makes me very, very happy. Well, that is, <laughs> that's a good thing. And I'm hoping when he comes back in this, in this, in the summer that, uh, that I will have that Bruce buzz, but I guess we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, talk about the archives event. Well, have before it. we get, uh, so obviously Newark, which is going to lead into the archives event Sometime between the end of the show, which was approximately 11 p.m., and the next morning, he tested positive. Now, I will tell you, I have pictures of him in the pit 
he recognized a young kid, probably he seemed to be in his late teens. And I have pictures of him draped on the kid during 10th Avenue as he was walking back to the stage on stage right. If you're looking from the pit and I was just like, I hope that kid got tested because <laughs> I, I, it, we're going to get to the whole impact on the archives, of course, but man, if he was sick on Friday, which there was no indication, he's more of a superhuman person than I thought because that was one unbelievable performance for a man of any age, much less 73, and if he had COVID. Well, did he give harmonicas out on Thunder Road and Promised Land? He did, and not only that, there was a very funny moment there at Promised Land. There was a 21-year-old girl who wanted to have a drink with him for her birthday. Her 21st and, birthday, right? Yes, yes. And she held up a sign and he came over to her and he motioned to her and she took it as an invite onto the stage. And she jumped up on the stage and he, I wouldn't say he was startled because I don't think he was, but he was sort of like, no, 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 I can't <laughs> have this. And took a step back and smiled and pointed her back down into the audience <laughs> And then she handed him, a, I think it was vodka, a little like airplane bottle of vodka, and he downed it in one swig <laughs> and she drank and they toasted to one another. And he, he then completed the song. And to answer your question, he gave her a harmonica. So, uh, well, I hope she got uh, tested and I hope whoever yeah. got the harmonica on Thunder Road was tested because they had Bruce's saliva in their hand. Well, I, I yeah, I don't know if they tried playing it. Probably not. <laughs> But they had it in there. But they had the harmonica in their hand, so they had Bruce's saliva in their hand, and it doesn't take much from there to 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 get infected if 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 it was in fact uh, COVID uh, in, infected. Well, I it was just a funny, funny moment that the, his reaction to the girl on stage, and it certainly confirms which we already knew because there's nobody up there for dancing. There's going to be nobody on stage in the near future. And that's okay with me, especially we don't want any uh, any kids under under 10 singing a certain song. That is for sure. <laughs> oh, that was another thing we forgot to mention. Yeah, was, it the sec- was it the second show? Yeah, I think so. A uh, young kid with a sign for Sunny Day, and he went over and he took it. And we were like, oh, my God, dear, no, no. <laughs> and he took the sign. Apparently, they had a Sharpie. He signed the sign and gave it back to her and moved on. Okay, so, you know, I yeah. didn't see the side of the sign that said "Sunny Day." I what I saw was, uh, what I saw was, I've been waiting my whole life for this. I don't know if on the other side it said to sing "Sunny Day" with you, or just uh, or just to indicate they it, it waited their whole lives to it, see Bruce in concert. But uh, yeah, that was a pretty big autograph he, he put on there as well. It was definitely a sign for Sunny Day because someone came over to me and said, did you see that sign? We spoke to them and they, they, they're requesting Sunny Day. And I was <laughs> like, oh no. Well, I hope he doesn't get any, any ideas. No. <laughs> All right. So Will let's you? go. Let's move to the archives. We left Newark <laughs> We were all excited. We drove down to Monmouth University, me, you, your lovely wife, Claudine, and our friend, Laura. And we joined up with a lot of people we know. And we were very, very fortunate to be a part of the Springsteen Archives event, which was honoring Sam Moore, Darlene Love, Steve Earle, and Steve Van Zandt. And there was a reception with very good food, uh, an auction 
that was going on and all sorts of stuff. And we walked in the door and unfortunately we were told that Bruce had to bow out of the event, which as I'm sure everyone can understand was, was very disappointing for us. I, I think we can say the entire audience and also for the archives people now it was understandable. There was really not much they could do. And in fact, you spoke to Bob Santelli about it, right? Yes. I spoke to him briefly. He said that Bruce, <laughs> At 6 a.m., they, they got the call that Bruce wasn't coming. And I don't know what they were Bruce was doing up at 6 a.m. after playing to 11, but I guess he didn't feel well or Patty didn't feel well. And they tested at that time. And they immediately called the archives, uh, the event people. And, yep, they're not coming. And But I'm glad I'm glad the show went on. I think it would have been a little bit difficult to, to reschedule. But, of course, the uh, the post-awards jam that we everybody was looking forward to didn't quite uh, reach the reach the heights that we had been hoping walking in. Well, that is undeniably true, but you're underselling it because there were a couple of moments of oh, the performances yeah. that were truly amazing that I am very glad that I was there to see. The Sam Moore performance of I Thank You was truly one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. The man is 86 and a half, 87 years old. He came out on stage. He had to sit on a stool, not surprisingly. And I was like, can he still sing? And he opened his <laughs> mouth and he sounded incredible. I, it was just, it was amazing. It, it was it, it was actually life affirming to see a, a man of that age perform like that. It was, I, I was just blown away. Well, I was blown away by, by Darlene Love's voice. Um, she she did uh, River Deep, Mountain High, and it was, my God, her voice is just as powerful. I didn't see her back in the 60s or, or I guess in the 60s because she took off the 70s. And But that voice is is a thing of power. It's, it was just amazing the way she belted out uh, River Deep, Mountain High. And, and in front of that band, Stephen's uh, Disciples of Soul Band, they were the house band backing everyone and they sounded great. Darlene love sounded amazing. I, and, and as you said, Sam Moore didn't seem like he lost any of his voice either. He sounded just as he did 20 years ago when we saw him with Bruce at the hol- at those holiday shows in Asbury and, yeah. uh, and Steve Earl, he came out when, or he was, he got an award, his, his award. And then he did Copperhead road in a very, right. a very intense straight ahead version. We should give props. Whoever put that show together did an amazing job. I am lucky that I've been to a number of these events. I was just obviously at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction in November. And I really thought that this show was incredibly well conceived and executed. They had no dead time. The Disciples of Soul did a great job. I don't know if they're going to be the house band every year. Obviously, Steve's not going to be honored again next year. But they did a fantastic job. And and the way it flowed where they had the presenter come out for Steve Earle, it was Gary. For Darlene Love, it was Bruce on video. It was supposed to be Patty. And then Southside Johnny did Sam Moore before Bruce came back again on video, of course, and did Steve Van Zandt. But they, they did the presentation. The artist being honored came out and gave a speech. And then they did one song each. And it it was just, it was perfect. And unfortunately, and, and everyone knew it. I, I don't think even the archives people, you could tell they were crestfallen. 
Yeah. It, the end of the show did not have the lift that it would have, of course, if the person whose name is on the door was there because he is one of the biggest rock stars who's ever lived. So you can't make up for his absence. Uh, not at all. And But they made some unusual choices there for those for that uh for that little jam, I thought uh, Stephen's choice of bitter fruit was a little off. I don't yeah. know; it, it didn't seem to work as well. Like I assume that he chose it uh, with the with the assumption or you know planning on Bruce being there afterwards, and so he would have done bitter fruit, and then they it would have done. It's been a long time in Tenth Avenue and Hungry Heart, but coming out and doing one that's as you said, not one of his shore classics. He, I. I Definitely would have preferred something off Men Without Women or one of the songs she wrote for Southside on, on those albums. But he did Bitter Fruit. Still a cool song, but didn't quite have the impact that one of his more traditional Stephen Sound songs w- would have made. Clearly, I think for that audience, Forever would have been better. But to give him a break, I think it was planned that he was going to present what he's doing and then Bruce was going to come out and the next 40 minutes was going to be off the charts. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, they made a couple of interesting decisions. Steve Van Zandt called up Steve Earle to play Bruce's part on if it's been a long time and halfway through the song, I turned and I said, Steve Earle has clearly never heard this <laughs> song before. And Steve Van Zandt actually confirmed that when the song was over, in all honesty, they should have just done it with Steve and Southside, which they've done many times before. It would have worked much better. It was quite frankly, uh, and unfortunately a bit of a train wreck with the way it was done. And and then from there, Darlene Love came out. She did Hungry Heart, which she has covered in the past and was clearly meant to be a duet with Bruce. She was amazing. And it would have been really something to see Bruce and her trading off vocals. Uh, Then you got Sam Moore doing Soul Man, which was perfect. And and Steve just loved that. You know, those guys just love one another. Uh, Southside and Sam Moore also just joking and cracking people up. And then from there... I thought that Steve should have skipped 10th Avenue because that's not really a song that could be played if, if Bruce is not there. Nope, not at all. <laughs> it, and it really fell flat. Yeah. I'll be, I'll, and, I'll, let's be honest. And then they ended with, I don't want to go home, which is the obvious ending and was fantastic. Yeah, that was it, good. That was, yeah. that was a lot of fun. I really, well, really that doesn't require that. Bruce's participation. <laughs> Had he been there, he would have helped the song. No doubt. But Southside and Steve singing, I don't want to go home. I mean, who's not going to love that? Yeah, true. I want to go, I want to go back to what you said about Sam Moore and, and Southside and Steve. I mean, those guys, I mean, he was, he, Sam Moore was their idol. He was, he was one of their idols that they modeled their, their sound and, and their, and their shows upon. And, and, you know, they were thrilled to be there. And, and one thing about Darlene Love is that when on Bruce's video introduction of her, he said that when they were in L.A., I guess in the early 80s, and Steve said, hey, Bruce, let's go see Darlene Love. And and so they went. I guess it was at the, was at the Roxy, I think he said. And she, f- fortunately, he said she did a cover of Hungry Heart. So she was doing a Hungry Heart way back in 1981. Uh, so that, that must have been cool to for her to, be, you know, have to plan to sing it with the guy who wrote it, but uh, was not to be. No. It was sad. It was sad for everyone, as I said. The last thing that Southside said before they left the stage was, 
Thanks to everyone for coming. And we promise Bruce is going to be here next year. It was, I had a really fun time at that event. Uh, obviously, uh, you can't not be a little disappointed that Bruce was not there, but clearly that decision was not made lightly. Uh, to, when, uh, talking about Sam Moore, and Bruce talked about this at the holiday shows, how he went to the satellite lounge and picked up all of Sam's moves, and that's what he does he, on Mary's place, leading the band. I can't even imagine how upset Bruce must have been to miss playing with Sam Moore and Darlene Love, especially Sam. Who knows how much longer he's going to be performing. This was a real rarity, I imagine. And it just, it's just it's a shame. But this is the era we're living in. We've discussed it before. How many times have we talked about we could get on a plane and fly somewhere to see a show and it winds up canceled. I was supposed to go see Pearl Jam in Vegas. The show was canceled and it was just a very tough situation for all involved. You mentioned uh, rescheduling with the logistics of the performers on the bill and the fact that Bruce is so busy about to head off to Europe. It probably was impossible. It just, unfortunately, it was the turn that the night took. And fortunately, it it was still a great night, but undeniably would have been an even better night had he been there. Yeah, we were really counting counting on him being there and it made uh, missing Newark a little bit. Uh, planning on seeing Bruce at, at, at the Monmouth uh, event made missing Newark okay. So a little disappointed in, in that respect. I'm sure if we, you know, we could have put the money that we spent uh, on Saturday night to Friday night, but that's just the way it goes. And looking forward to seeing Bruce again in, in August. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Hey, everyone. This is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Let's move now to the larger topic, which is going to be an overview of the entire leg. So we've had 28 shows played from February 1st to April 14th, and you made a very interesting point earlier in the episode about the impact that these shows are having on you. Why don't you expand on that a little bit more, and then I'll weigh in. 
Okay. Well, it was basically that I'm having a great time at the show. Uh, I'm singing along. I'm doing the hand the hand movements, the arm movements, like every like everyone else. But then as soon as the show ends, I, I I leave and it's going to my car. It's basically it feels the same as if I just been out to dinner or 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 seen a a movie or or just a TV show. I I don't have that walking on air buzz anymore that that I used to that that I had even even ten years ago or six years ago and. It's that's a little disappointing. And now, obviously, it could be me. I've seen a lot of shows. <laughs> I'm not gonna not gonna deny that. Or it's the fact that, like, I, one comparison is like I'm a, I'm like an addict, and the the stuff that first got me hooked on Bruce doesn't doesn't make me high anymore. And so I need something harder and stronger to to get that feeling. And and this tour is is has not been about that these the set list is as we've said many many times is quite static and there's only five new songs in in the show and then the rest of the show is consists of songs that really aren't exactly rare they were played they've been played a lot between at least 12 and, and 17 if not going back to even 2007 so we're not getting there's no total wild card slot in there. And the closest that I got to feeling really, really buzzed was lucky town on at the second Belmont show as well as born in the USA. But again, I walked out of the show and it's like, okay, let's go home, get ready for work tomorrow. It's funny what you're saying, because I understand it. And, and there is something different about this tour as we have discussed off air 10 years ago. If, I had seen five shows on the first leg of the Wrecking Ball tour and they varied by only a song or two, I probably would have been having a heart attack. I don't feel that way at all. In one part of me, I agree with you that the show does not have the same impact it did, whether that's a personal thing or because of the way the show is proceeding. I think it's all mixed together. But on another level... I'm enjoying the shows more than ever. I, You are correct. I don't wake up with the same buzz the morning after a show that I used to. But when I'm there, and I felt this last year, and I, I think I've mentioned this before to you, when I was seeing Pearl Jam last year, there is something going on where I just feel very happy and fortunate to be able to see this great music. I think a lot of it has to do with the pandemic and that I was stuck in my house, which uh, we all hated, but you know, I, I was really going crazy the first couple of months and it was it, the thought, when was this stuff going to return? And when it did return, it, I, I think being able to go and experience the music and with everyone that I go with, especially to the Bruce shows. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, as you know, the number of people we know, especially at these New York shows, it's hundreds of people. And there's just something very meaningful about it to me on a level that is different than in the past. And I, I think in part, it's about the experience. Now I, I will say, and I said this in our show after Tampa that we did, that night was one of my favorite nights that I can remember, at least musically, in recent memory, that we were able to go to Tampa, 
that he came out. He played a great show. We were with everyone. It just, it, it really made me feel good, but you're correct. Maybe it is, maybe like with heroin, it loses its impact. If you, if you, the more you take, I, at least I hear, I've never tried it, but (laughs) It, it is the same thing here. Maybe the impact of the show isn't the same for us after all these years, but I have found at least for me a different way to enjoy it and appreciate it than in the past. Well, this appreciation, is it going on during the show and, and does it continue afterwards or does it end with I'll see you in my dreams and E Street Band loves you? Well, it's definitely going on during the show. Every well, yeah, show, yeah, exactly. I mean, I know I, that. I know yeah, that. Does yeah. it end? That does it end when Bruce says the Street Band loves you and leaves the stage? Well, you spoke to me after Newark on Friday night. I was pretty pumped up. Yes, 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 you were. But were you pumped up after both Belmont shows and and what was the other one you saw? Portland. Were you? Would uh, well, you feel that? Well, Portland, I definitely thought was a very, very good show and I enjoyed it. And that was one of those weekends, as we talked about, because of the entire experience, the getting out of L.A. and probably, well, not probably, it was the heaviest rain in L.A.'s history and just an incredible mess. We were lucky to get off the ground. So that played into that and just how lucky we were to be there. Belmont night one. Yes. I would not say that I walked out and was like, that's an unforgettable show. In fact, you know, I normally buy every show that I see from Nugs. I don't know that I'm going to buy Nassau on night one because I am paying for the streaming. I like to have everything in my personal archive, but that show didn't really register on me in the same way that the other shows I had seen earlier in the tour. But Belmont Night 2, I thought, was fantastic. And, and Newark, we just discussed. So uh, I think on Saturday, I was pretty fired up when I woke up Saturday morning. Uh, the first time since Tampa, I can say that it lingered beyond the night. And w- I was very excited for the archive event. I, I really thought that was going to be a special night. And as we just discussed, it wasn't as special as we thought it would be, but it, I still, you know, very much enjoyed being there. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess after, after the garden show, I certainly had a little bit going on in, into the next day, not too much, but, but a little. And, but another thought I had was we, a lot of people have been comparing this show to Broadway. Yes. And, and I, and I saw Broadway, I don't know, about six times, eight times, something like that. and. I do feel that when I went, it was an amazing feeling, and I I felt like my soul was you know fulfilled or energized or however you want to call it. But at the same time, I think if you go, you know, you know just a couple of days later, I think the the power wears off. And so we saw Tampa as as we as as we all know, six and a half years since the last time he played with the E Street Band. And that the feeling of being there and, and being seeing that band and being with with our friends uh, was that was a great feeling and that there was a buzz going on the next day and then too I didn't see a show for two months and then I saw the garden and it was like holy crap this this is great and Jungle Land is amazing this this band is just playing at such a high level and then 
you know, saw Brooklyn two days later. Just didn't have the same effect. And then just, uh, you know, six days later, we're we're seeing him again. And it's just, it's almost like we're, I'm seeing him too much. And maybe that is the case. And they don't, you know, maybe the absence is what gave me that kind of Broadway buzz during during that run. I, But again, it could be, maybe maybe it's just off for me. Maybe it's just not uh, not the drug that, that it was for, for many years on to my system. I think there's an aspect of that, but I will say with the Broadway, the first time I saw Broadway, as you're aware, because you were with me, it literally rendered me speechless. People who know me were, were like, we've never heard you <laughs> not talk before. I could not believe what I had seen in November of 2017. And I saw it several more times. I agree. Broadway, any Broadway show is very much specific to that night in that theater. And the, and the thing about Springsteen concerts, and I think this is where the mixing it up comes in, the Archive series being a perfect example. The fact that they release a show every month and it would come from a different tour and unlike the Stones who played the same I don't know, 14, 15 songs as their base in a show for I, I don't know how many years now. Every Springsteen tour was totally different. This one does not have the same kind of distinct feel. And that, of course, goes back to our discussion of the lack of Letter to You songs, only having four when we started with six on opening night. And also that he's not playing anything off of Western stars and even not really utilizing only the strong survive besides night shift. So I think all of that is a factor. And I think also the fact that they release every show and that you, even more than me, I think, listen to the shows. I don't listen to as many as you think, (laughs) as you would think I do, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) Because the fact that the show is pretty much the same every night and you're listening to these releases, it does sort of mute the impact, perhaps, when you when you go see the show. So I I, I think all of that is true. And it's going to be very interesting, as we've discussed before, to see what happens now when he goes to these multiple night cities. Obviously, Belmont as a first impression. You don't seem to think that. uh there's going to be a lot of change, but I think the tour is very early and, mm-hmm. and we're going to have to see how it proceeds. Uh, I, if Am I going to want to see the same show in December when he's in Los Angeles? I mean, I think I'll be happy to be there. Uh, I think there will be differences in the show by the time we get there. But it is a valid question. But for now, again, my answer is I am enjoying being there as much as I ever did. Okay. Well, in terms of the tour and how it's progressing, I I do take it as a positive sign that there was a tour debut uh, at every show for the last, was it two weeks, going back to the, the tour debut of Darkness in Detroit. And from then on, there was something new. I mean, obviously they weren't they weren't really repeated except for Lucky Town and Mary's Place. But I do think that's that's a start. And he does 
Oddly enough, this I've always this always kind of baffled me. He goes from playing these air conditioned arenas like in the United States. He's playing two hours, 45 minutes, you know, maybe hitting three every so often. Then he goes to Europe. He's playing these outdoor stadiums in summer. And all of a sudden the show gets like half an hour to 45 minutes longer. I That always blew me away. I, but that's not that's not going to happen this year. No way. OK, well, but it all it has seemed it has been the, the pattern basically since 2002. Um, so I'm wondering if he's going to extend the show, if he's going to play, play a little bit longer. That's that's a big question. And also, I do think with the multiple night stands and the traveling fans over there, um, he does seem to have a huge soft spot. Uh, for these, for the for the dozens, hundreds, thousands of fans who who go to multiple shows in multiple countries, and because of their ticket prices not being as as great as they were in the states this year, that they're they're going to be there. There's, I think, they're going to see as many shows as they did a few years ago. And Bruce seems to be more responsive to them in terms of of shaking things up, in terms of pulling out rarities. I mean, think of Wages of Sin. Or what were the three songs, three or four songs he did at the end of the, and Kilkenny was that at the end of 2013. Uh, was it Man at the Top and When You Walk in the Room? So I th- I have hope. So I don't see him playing three nights at midlife, two nights in Philly, without planning on, on playing some different stuff. Because he knows that those tickets are going to be a little bit more plentiful than, than what they were this spring. And so I have I have hope Uh, I you know, for what are we without hope in our hearts? And I feel like I kind of kind of have to be hopeful in that in this way. I don't I don't really don't want to be negative on this tour. And but as you said, it's early. We have a long way to go and things anything can happen. I definitely think he has enough material ready. He's been sound checking. We know in Belmont, besides what came into the show, I'm going down was rehearsed. We know my my love will not let you down has been rehearsed twice, at least twice. A, a bunch of songs that haven't come in yet. He could, at the snap of his fingers, have ten new songs in the show on any night. Now they have enough material ready. That's going to be his personal choice as to what he wants to do. I. I'm curious to see how it proceeds. I mean, obviously we're going to talk about it because that's what the show does. What we do. Although I do think that if the sets remain this static in Europe, we may have to go back to doing our weekly topics and we'll have tour coverage plus a topic for that week because we're not going to be able to discuss the same static set list over and over again for another eight months, but let's see how that plays out. But I, I just, I, as I say, I, my enjoyment level has been so high that I'm ready and willing to let the tour develop. And I, I think I made this remark about 20 minutes ago, like if this was 2012, yes, we, we would be ranting and raving. Oh my God, it would be bad. But it's not 2012. And, it's, it, and we all have to understand that. And he's doing something a little different here. He's doing it extremely well. If the show didn't work, it would be a totally different story. But every time I've seen the show, whether it was in Portland or in Tampa, or of course, in the hotbed of New York, New Jersey, the audience has clearly loved the show. So uh, what else is there to say beyond that? He, he is playing a show 
that people really enjoy. And uh, to sit here and knock that would be silly. But as we know, and you just said, he has tickets to sell. Foxborough Night 2 in particular has not sold very well. Is part of that an impact over the set list? Because obviously, especially a venue like Foxborough, which is like the worst venue on the planet to get to, are people going to drive out there two nights in a row to see the same show? Many of them are not. So if you suddenly turn around and they think that the show the second night is going to be very different, you may get more people to come out there. That's that's the hope, and but I would just would like to say that even though that it's the show is fantastic for you know probably ninety five percent, if maybe even ninety nine percent, but the longtime fans uh, just give us one nice wild card slot that they, that digs a little bit deeper, and but that may be that may be me being entitled and, and uh, looking. I for- I disagree with you because first of all, the last two shows. We saw Lucky Town and Local Hero. Uh, yeah, the last <laughs> two shows out of 28. Okay, but Lucky Town was played in Baltimore. Okay, and three out of 28. I, I get what you're saying, but I think uh, clearly things are trending in the right direction. Because if I'm not you denying said that. I said three that. Shows, if three shows in a row had Lucky Town songs on any tour, we would have been like, that's incredible. Yes, I, I get that, and it's in the right direction. But it's we're looking at the at the leg as a whole, and the last shirt, the last three at three shows out of say the last six, you know, it's uh, out of five, four even no three out of four includes something from the ninety two albums that is significant. But the previous twenty four shows were pretty much uh, devoid of that. They really didn't have much of a wild card slot, and and it needed one. It need, it, I, I I do feel it needs one to 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 kind of even as a bone to the to the people who've been following him around for forty years. That's fair enough, and I think he is going to do that I, I, for sure in the stadiums. We'll have to see when he comes back. Three nights in Jersey, as we've said numerous times now, he's not going to do this show, I don't think, three nights in a row, all the way through the same. There's going to be some reconfiguration that has happened on every Springsteen tour. No, no, no argument. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in Dublin. and, And really, I'm looking forward to see what happens in Gothenburg. That that city has gotten some amazing shows with some really interesting set list, and to me that could be a big test as maybe some kind of preview for MetLife and even and in and Philly. Yeah, well, I think we have talked this out. It's going to be very exciting. I, I think for whatever quibbles we have, the first leg. Because let's also face reality. I mean, we had questions. Were they going to be sharp? Were they going to be the same? Six years had passed since they last played together as a band. The age of the players. And I just think everything that has taken place, short of the set list variation, really is about as high a level as we could have expected. And I agree with you. I, as I've said, since the since seeing the show at the Garden, they are playing at a very high level. The performances are top notch, as you said. They're sharp. They're on, and it just they just need to. Bruce just needs to shake the set list up just just a bit, and I, that will take the shows to to the next level. 
Well, let's see what happens. I believe the show will go to the next level. This tour, as we know, is going to go on for a while. And I think by the end, everyone, including the diehards, are going to be very, very happy with what they've seen and and look back on this because, again, this could be the last time and and, and appreciate it. And uh, I did not expect uh, to bring the whole episode full circle. I did not expect probably at this point in my life to still be seeing Bruce Nish Band play shows like this. I think that applies to quite a number of artists now because we are seeing these rockers play into their 80s, which is wonderful. And hell, if Sam Moore is any indication, maybe Bruce is going to play for another 12, 15 years. I think he will. It just might not be with the E Street Band. I think he's going to do some acoustic solo solo stuff or with a different kind of band uh, arrangement. But uh, I don't think he's done after uh, whenever the tour ends next year. I think he'll keep going in some fashion. I agree. Now, should I uh, wrap it up? Well, let's talk about our, our new message board for Patreon subscribers. We got some. Yes, we're we're building. We're getting momentum. We have some a uh, lot of users, a bunch of uh, good topics, good conversation, and it's a lot of fun. And but it's only available to to our Patreon subscribers, and you can find that at patreon.com slash nbtb podcast. So right, uh, stop, stop by and, uh, and and see what's going on. And you started a thread called copyrighted and unreleased, which you've compiled all the songs that Bruce has filed with the U S copyright office and have yet to be released. And it's a fascinating list. There are 186 songs on there, 186 titles. I would say what, at least a third are songs we don't have never even heard of. And it's just fun, fun to think about that kind of stuff. And, I would love love to see it. Uh, some of those songs come out on on tracks too, whenever that may be. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, always hoping for this year. But we've been saying that for five. Fingers crossed, as always. <laughs> anyway, check it out again. Patreon dot com slash nbtb podcast. And with that, I will say that none but the brave is produced by Bull Market Entertainment and presented by Evergreen Podcasts. I just gave the Patreon page address. You can also find us on Twitter at MBTV Podcast. So for Hal Schwartz, I'm Flynn McLean saying thanks for listening and we'll see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast.